It's August 29th, 2020, and this is the Tour de France Daily Roadman Podcast. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Bonjour and bienvenue. It's the Tour de France, baby. Oh, yeah. I didn't think it was going to happen this year. I really didn't. And I'm guessing that a lot of you listeners also didn't think that the Tour was going to happen this year. It's August and we have ourselves a Tour de France. And we had ourselves quite a dramatic stage one today. And so I'm going to talk you over the next three weeks through the trials, the tribulation, the drama. We're going to talk through it all. And you know what? I'm going to have a couple of guests along for the ride. Every now and then I'm going to dip in. I'm going to bring a couple of friends in. And we're going to chat some guys, maybe cyclists. You might know some of those guys. Leaving it rightly vague for now. Guys, this podcast, the Tour de France daily show, it's brought to you by Patreon. It's brought to you by your peers, the good listeners at Patreon. Now more than ever with this Tour de France daily podcast, I'll ask you to go over to patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh. Make a small donation, a pint of beer or a coffee and say, you know what, Skin? I really appreciate you giving up three weeks of your life to bring us this Tour de France podcast. I'm not going to lie, I was rightly on the fence with this Tour de France podcast, whether I should actually do it or not. And in the end, I just so I was actually chatting to Tyler Hamilton and I was telling him I'm rightly on the fence about doing the daily podcast. And he was like, you know what, just go and do it. And I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to bite the bullet, I'm going to do it. It's going to be tough, but you know what, it's not going to be tougher than writing it. So here I am, a daily podcast. I'm going to get Tyler and I'm going to get some other guys on over the next three weeks and we're going to talk all the drama because honestly, there's a this race could go in. We could wake up tomorrow morning and this race isn't even on. That's how much drama we can ha- we're having with this race. I suppose that's the best place to get started. I am the last person on earth that wants to start rattling on about COVID, but when it impacts the race, I suppose we need to talk about it a little bit. They have this rule at the moment where it seems to be a very fluid rule where if two members of the team or staff it initially started at contract COVID, test positive for COVID, that entire team gets pulled out from the race. Now they've loosened that because two of the Lotto staff got it and Lotto are at the race. They've loosened the two if two of the riders test positive in the same week, they're pulling them out of the race. So we could see a scene where the race favourites team, while they're in yellow, is pulled out of the race, which is going to be insane. And also we could be losing key lieutenants. Like think one of the race favourites, Roglic. Like Sepp Kuss contracts it. You know, one of his key climbing lieutenants and arguably the strongest man at the Dauphiné. Someone like that contracts it. It's a complete game changer. So we've drama even before the off in today's stage. And the... The race director, or sorry, the head of the UCI uh, came out and he said he reckons it's a miracle if the Tour makes it to Paris. So let's see. But honestly, this race absolutely needed to happen. Just a fair play to the ASO. Race organisers, they come in for a lot of criticism a lot of the time around safety, around, you know, rider rights and a lot of things like this. But... 
The ASO have made this happen when a lot of sports around the world are still faltering. They pushed ahead and honestly we needed this. Their sponsor teams folding with lack of sponsors. There's you know teams right on the brink of folding. There's riders on the brink of losing livelihoods. Don't forget when a team folds, it's not just the riders that lose their job, it's the backroom staff. You know, they're the breadwinners for entire families. It impacts a lot of people. So tip the cap, chapeau, as the French would say to the ASO for actually making this happen. It's going to be a surreal Tour de France because for me, as someone who's luckily enough uh, been over to watch the Tour a number of times, uh, when I was racing out in France, I got over to see some of it and a number of other years I've got over, recently two years ago, I got over with uh, Sarah and we camped over on Alpe d'Huez for the Alpe d'Huez stage and drank beers at 11 o'clock in the morning, which is only socially acceptable if you're on Alpe d'Huez. The only time it's socially acceptable to have your top off drinking cans of beer it's if you're watching the tour de france otherwise you're just a complete degenerate <laughs> but the the crack of the tour de france as a spectator it's it's the drinking it's the party atmosphere and although they're saying there's no spectators at the race how are they going to stop people accessing open roads how are they going to stop fans congregating they've put in some rules like you can't drive up uh, but most people are going to ride up they're going to walk up you know, cycling fans tend to be, you know, fairly athletic. They're not your American football fans. Like, riding up to the top of a climb to watch people isn't going to be a massive hurdle. So I still see decent congregations of fans appearing, uh, which uh, it's going to pose an additional difficulty, I suppose. Uh, I'm not an expert on statistically how likely you are to contract COVID from a roadside spectator, but it's a number greater than zero, and that has to be worrying for everybody uh right before we jump into today's stage let's rattle out some predictions i'm gonna go this is not gonna be much of a surprise to anyone uh and i kind of hate myself for saying it. i'm gonna go with primos roglic as my pick for gc it's just hard to look past roglic i know there's not many time trials in this year's tour i think there's only one time trial it's like 32 kilometers uh so a lot less time trial orientated than typical years but when you paired together a number of factors you look at Roglic can TT so he's not going to lose time he should take time in the TT he looks to be on form like the Dauphiné he left the Dauphiné early with a crash but honestly I don't think the crash affected him because he was out training the next day when he was meant to start the stage so you know if you've hit the deck heavy you're not going to go on a training ride and then you look at the team he has like you've Dumoulin who was super competitive in the Dauphiné I know he's coming back from a big period of inactivity but you know we can't forget who Dumoulin is big Tommy D is one of the best bike riders in the world and his form looks to be simmering I, I don't know that we're not going to sit here in three weeks and say Tom Dumoulin is the winner of the Tour de France if something happens to Roglic a bad day Dumoulin can easily step up step up then you've like said George Bennett you've Sepp Kuss you know not to mention uh not to mention our Milan San Remo winner you've You've just George Bennett, you've such strength and depth there. They're legitimately the second super team behind Ineos at the moment. So I see Roglic taking this all the way to Paris. The other thing that we need to talk about before we get started, it's Froome and Garant Thomas sitting at home watching the Tour de France. Dave Brailsford has been ruthless in his choice through the years. I know he was quick to axe Wiggins when it came to it and say, that's the end of an era. He's not romantic about it. The Froome era started very fast and Wiggins went from being the favourite son to out in the cold very fast. 
so it's no surprise that Froome has had the same treatment. For me, it's more of a surprise that Garant Thomas hasn't been brought. When you think about Thomas has been, you know, he was first two years ago, he was second last year. He didn't look bad at all in the Dauphiné. I know he was saying he's a couple of kilos overweight. But he's been there, like, I'm not, I'm pretty sure he rode the tour when Wiggins won, then he's won all of Froome's tours with him. He knows how to win the tour. And for me, it's nearly the dressing room effect that they speak about in football. Like, Thomas is a big character. Luke Rowe is there. You want to keep that English nucleus to the team, or at least English-speaking nucleus to the team. I think when you have Carapaz, who, based off that documentary on Netflix, looks like a prick, uh, you have Carapaz there, and you have Bernal. Like, the crack can't be 90. You have to live with these people for three weeks. So uh, I'm not saying bring Thomas to the Tour for crack alone. He can ride his bike. Like, he's won the Tour de France two years ago. I think it was too much upending. I totally see where Brailsford's going, doesn't want the power struggle, wants to show that Bernal's his man. But I don't know, I just don't see it. And you have the, you know, rest in peace, Nicolas Portal, uh, their director sportif, who passed away earlier in the year. Portal's the man calling the shots. And I think without Portal, without Thomas, without Froome, it's a very different team in Eos. I just worry that they lack leadership. And, you know, then uh, this is a nice bridge jumping into today. Like, Sivakov is after smashing himself today. He crashed into Dauphiné and he's after crashing again today one of Bernal's strongest climbing lieutenants. Honestly, there was points today I didn't think he was going to make it. So, look, let's get into today, because it's stage one of the Tour de France. It's the 107th Tour de France. Uh, honestly, it'd be easier for me to sit here and name lads that didn't crash today. But that, that would be kind of like reading the phone book, so I'm not going to do that to you. The big crashes that I noted watching it. Uh, Sanchez hit the deck, Port hit the deck, Nieve hit the deck, Amador for Ineos again hit the deck, George Bennett hit the deck, Sam Bennett hit the deck, and then 3K to go to massive stack up, Pino hit the deck. So, like, honestly, there was crashes everywhere. Like, it I woke up this morning and I was heading out for our little roadman Saturday group. It's like, it's not really a group ride, it's the anti-group ride. Because I had a podcast there a few weeks ago and... Group rides are shite at the moment in Ireland, and I don't know what they're like where you're listening, but group rides are just dominated by morons at the moment, and they're kind of falling apart. So the group ride I set up is nearly the anti-group ride, but that's a rant for a different day. Uh, that's actually a podcast worth going back to listen. I think it's called like the death of the group ride or something equally morbid. Uh, <laughs> so I came in from the A1 ride uh, today, and I caught like probably the last 60, 70k as I had my lunch and mucking around the house and it was just littered with crashes. Sorry, where I was going with that one, before I even went out on the group ride, I checked the weather forecast for Nice this morning and I seen 35%, 35% chance of showers. I thought, oh, those roads around Nice are not going to be good if it rains and they were very slick and there was crashes everywhere. Complete carnage on the roads around Nice, and even there was one point which I thought was, you know, hilar it's hilarious in retrospect because the boy wasn't hurt. Uh, it was Isagiri. Uh, Astana decided to push on on one of the descents when the consent of the bunch seemed to be, let's take this very handy, lads. And Astana decided to push on, push on with Omar Fraley on the front. And they weren't exactly railing the corners, but it was just an upping of speed. And Isagiri, third wheel in the Astana train. Locks up the front wheel, locks up the back wheel, locks up the front wheel, does that little dance, shakes it all about. 
and then he ends up over in a hedge and hitting a sign and he got away lucky Roglic rolls up beside him and if humans could have lasers coming out of their eyes it would have burnt a hole through Omar Fraley's soul and just said cop yourself the fuck on I don't want to lose the Tour de France on day one because you're a Muppet and that slowed down the whole it slowed it all down but I was amazed that I watched on Eurosport uh, I'm listening here in Ireland and that's kind of the, the main broadcaster here and the coverage is very good but a lot of the debate coming in was centred around where they're going to neutralise the stage because it was wet like was this going to come from uh, race organisers and from the ASO and I was just thinking to myself you know there is absolutely no hope in the world that this is getting neutralised. Like, think about it for a second. The Tour de France is the saving hope of the sport this year. This is the curtain raiser. And you think they're going to neutralise it in the wet. Absolutely no hope that was getting neutralised. Whether the riders decided to neutralise it to a point, that potentially could have happened. But I don't see there being that big character in the peloton anymore. The big, you know, Bernard Hino, Cancellara, a character who can just come along, wave the hands and shut it down. I think there's too many interests. There's too many teams fighting for their lives. There's too many riders scrapping for their lives. There's a death match. We have a death match for the next three weeks. For teams, for riders, for sponsors. There was no way this was getting neutralised. But what really annoyed me about the riders and the sort of mini neutralisation was riders are just getting back in. You know, I think wet conditions is wet conditions and it's a bad precedent from the riders to start neutralising stuff. And I, I say that, like, what's that? Uh, I don't know whose quote it was, but I hold strong opinions loosely and I'm going to contradict myself like a crazy schizophrenic on this podcast a lot, especially the days I don't have guests on. It's it's balancing the safety, I suppose. Um, but I was surprised the quick step didn't ride some sort of tempo to stop like Caleb Ewan was over four minutes back at one point and he got back in and if Caleb Ewan had won that stage like that's disappointing because he's dropped earlier in the stage and he's getting back in like it's not I don't know it, I, I totally get that they have to balance safety and you don't lose the Tour de France on the fourth stage so I'm actually going to completely sit on the fence I don't know where where I lie on that one I don't like to see the races neutralized because it's bad weather some riders go well in bad weather but then if it's completely lethal like today, I don't like to see lads getting hurt either. So, yeah, I don't know. Firmly sitting on the fence. Huge crash at three kilometers. But if you're not familiar with stage racing, if you get through the three kilometer to go mark, you're given the same time as the race winner if you're involved in a crash. So they just snuck through or crashed through the three kilometer to go mark. So they will all have got the same time. But the big casualty there was... The housewife's favourite, Tivo Pino. And yeah, he looked very, very unhappy coming in. He was nice bit of road rash. And uh, yeah, the problem with having road rash like that, and I'm speaking as a lad who's been caught up trying to get to sleep many times, you stick to the sheets really bad. And it's difficult to sleep. You have a very broken sleep. Now, I never wore a whoop or sleep detector or anything like that uh, back when I did have road rash. But it's a very, very broken sleep. Every time you turn, you wake yourself up. You stick to the sheets. It's pussy. It's miserable. Like you've, We've talked about the importance of sleep so often on the podcast. It's absolutely miserable. So 
yeah, it's it's not a good start here Tour de France with three weeks still to go. So I, you know, and Pino Notori dropped out last year with an injuries and notoriously kind of blows hot and cold and passionate. And what we expect from a French rider to a large extent, he he lives up to that cliche. Uh, really, from an Irish point of view, it you know I hate to criticise Bennett because he's a legend, but it really is a missed opportunity. Not just at his tour, potentially of a lifetime for Sam Bennett. Um, there's not often that comes around that you're the race favourite on a sprinter stage on stage one to take the yellow jersey in the Tour de France. Everything was perfect. If you could have dropped Bennett with three with sorry three hundred meters to go on Markov's wheel. And he kicks, not boxed in, unaided. He just didn't have legs. I honestly think it was just the pressure he put on himself. He hasn't been there before. Like Bennett talked about before the stage, uh, he said, the pressure is on and I can feel it. And he sprinted like a lad with that pressure on his shoulders. When you take someone like Christoph, who won today's stage, incidentally, um, the big man, ex-European champion, and you know he's obviously not... Um, he's Norwegian, I think, uh, definitely from Scandinavian region. But yeah, definitely not bothered by the weather. A man's man, a hard man, and yeah, he was a hard man for a hard day. Uh, Mads Pedersen was second, ball from Sunweb was third. I think Bennett might have been fourth, and Sagan was sniffing around in fifth. We just don't talk about Sagan anymore for these bunch sprints. Uh, I, I know for the Green Jersey contest, it's probably going to be a runaway Sagan because. He's just so consistent in that top 10 on almost every stage bar the hilltop finish. It Yeah, it's almost impossible to look past him for the green jersey. But yeah, he's just, I don't know, maybe it's the celebrity that's got to his head in the last few years. Maybe it's, you know, there's such talent coming through from your Van Aerts, your Van Der Poels, your Evan Poles, that we just talk about him less and less. Maybe his form is the same, but everyone else has come up around him. But he hasn't kicked on in the last couple of years. Now that's a big caveat with that that Sagan hasn't kicked on because he hasn't kicked on relative to the own his, the standards he sets himself. Like he's still obviously one of the biggest stars of our sport, but I just I'd like to see him. I don't know. I just feel like he has more in him. Uh, I feel like just the green jersey. You know, he's winning it so comfortably. I feel like it's not even a stretch target for him at this stage. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Tomorrow is another really exciting one. Stage. This is such a hard Tour de France. And, you know, the Tour de France route was announced before COVID. So this isn't, uh, holy shit, we mightn't get a full three weeks out of this. We better action pack every day. This was announced way back. I think it was like way back in October they announced this route. It's epically hard. Epically hard. Like tomorrow we have two Cat 1 climbs. And then we've called the Ez, which is a Cat 2, which I've been over before myself. And it's... It's sticky. It's a sticky tattoo and it's not a million miles off the finish. It's going to be an absolutely cracking three weeks. Uh, I'm delighted to bring you the podcast for the next three weeks. I'm going to try and keep them about this length. Some of them are obviously going to be shorter if we're doing kind of transitionary stages, nothing much happening, bunch sprint, no drama. You know, might get them in 10 minutes or so. If there's loads of drama, you know, it might go a little bit longer. Look, it's the internet, folks. I'll talk for as long as I need to. If you're not enjoying it, just stop listening. Uh, Yeah, thanks for joining me for the three weeks. Uh, Spread the word, let people know we're here, you know, every day for the next three weeks. I'm going to get them up as soon as I can after the stage. I want it to be a little bit of a Tour de France post-stage reaction show. You know, you can listen to it the next morning before the stage, but it's kind of, you know, it's probably losing its relevancy a bit in two, three days' time. So try your best to stay stay with us for the three weeks. 
uh, yeah look i'll fill you in on what's going on and uh, tour de france if there's anything relevant going on in my life over the next three weeks i will also dip that in but thank you for joining me for the first episode of this roadman tour de france daily podcast Folks, please do jump over on over to Patreon and support this Tour de France podcast. I can't tell you, you know, the commitment it takes to bring a daily podcast like this. So please reciprocate on that. Help us fund this. It might seem like a trivial amount of money to you, like a fiver to buy a pint of beer. Pubs are even closed at the moment. Extra money to buy the beer. But for me, it's honestly, it's two things. It really supports this podcast, but it's vindication that's going in the right direction. And we're doing something, I, I think we're doing something really special here with this Roadman podcast. And I'm really happy that you guys are a part of it. And I'm going to chat to you tomorrow. <laughs>